This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 54th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today I have a very special guest, Tom Lynn. Tom is a trained attorney, a sports agent, and he has worked in the management positions, the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League. Tom, before I go further with you and give you uh, more of an introduction, I want to go over some housekeeping things today here at Rainier Avenue Radio. I want to recognize my engineer today. James Gurr, James, the host of uh, After Dark, the After Dark show at Rainier Avenue Radio. We have a lot of good things going on at our Seattle-based station, RainierAvenueRadio.world on the World Wide Web. We have uh, sports shows hosted by Rick Dupree, uh, Granville Emerson, Renault Laurent hosts a great sports show, Lidline Sports, Masvita Mirari is the host of Seattle Sports Weekly, Pat McCarthy, Masvita, co-host a show on the Seattle Metro Sports Conference. Uh, Mark Bryant has a fitness-based show, Fitness Corner, and Juan Cotto and Mike Cobrezi host a sports show. Uh, lots of other good programming at RainierAvenueRadio.world as well. Uh, you can listen to my shows on Mixcloud under Sports and Stuff. A bunch are also on my law firm website, PLSLawOffices.com, and I welcome any feedback. Feel free to call or email me anytime. Uh, Tom, back to you. My guest today is a very talented guy. As I mentioned earlier, Tom Lynn's a trained attorney, a sports agent. He's been a law professor in the area of sports law. Tom worked in various positions for the Minnesota Wild of the National Hockey League from 2000 to 2009, including serving as an acting general manager. Uh, Tom also serves as a GM of the Houston AHL franchise. Tom's also married, father of six kids. I believe that uh, several of Tom's children are hockey players. Uh, Tom's the author of a book about building and running an NHL franchise, how to build an NHL franchise from scratch, the first era of the Minnesota Wild. This is a a very fitting guest to have as Seattle is taking steps to have a National Hockey League team in 2021. Tom's currently a principal at Veritas Hockey with offices in Minnesota other parts of the country. Uh, Tom works as a hockey agent advisor. You can follow Tom's company, on Twitter, Veritas Hockey. Um, I think we're having a lot of fun today. Going to learn more about Tom's career, learn more about uh, some of his experiences with hockey. Certainly get your take, Tom, on the Seattle NHL situation. Um, Tom, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. My pleasure. What a great introduction. That was worth it in itself. Well, I like I, I like to do little introductions and kind of give uh, the listeners a background of my guests. I do this quite frequently. It may it may be a little bit uh, long winded for some, but I like to, uh, my guests to know uh, my listeners to know who who's on. I got a good guy on today. Well, Tom, I want the listeners to learn a little bit more about you, and you've had a long career on the business side of hockey as a GM, as an agent, as a hockey attorney. Uh, why don't you share with us how you got the bug to work so heavily in the management and business side of hockey? That's a, that's a very good question because I do get it a lot, you know, around town and I go to different events. Why are you there? How do I get there? It's hard to say how one ends up in hockey, unlike the other sports. It seems like there's a different story for everyone who's a friend of mine in this business you know, on the team or agency side, but I was a hockey player, and then some point in college, and I wasn't uh, practicing with the varsity team, and I was a junior in college, and realized I'm not going to make a living playing the sport, I gave it up, and uh, hit the books, decided to go to law school, left hockey behind, didn't play anymore, didn't follow it, just worked as hard as I could, went to an Ivy League law school, went to one of the largest law firms in New York, because I was going to be a lawyer, and lo and behold, they represent the NHL, and they were the biggest sports in the world. Before I knew it, I was doing hockey law as a lawyer. And we did so well there. My friend was growing at the time. Gary Bettman had come out of there, and they were heavily into the uh, NHL 
collective bargaining process at the time. I rose quickly through the ranks as the first year. Did a lot of work for the NHL and NBA until the point where I was working almost exclusively on sports matters. And once again, unplanned. Like, I didn't plan that. I didn't plan this. The Minnesota Wild apparently called the league and asked for a recommendation on someone who had played hockey at a high level, but also was a lawyer who understood the collective bargaining agreement in the business. They recommended me, so I was one of the first employees of the Wild. They called me up and hired me there. And so I worked in the major management there until eventually I was the acting GM. The former GM was let go, but a new owner bought the team and fired everyone. So once again, I didn't plan it. But I was looking for a third career after being a big firm lawyer and then a hockey management type. So in, in looking around and trying to stay in hockey, but in the best way possible, so I could both enjoy the hockey community and, and raise a family in Minnesota, I switched sides and became an agent. So well, I'm on my third career. Well, quite a story how how you catapulted into all your positions in the hockey area. And it's, it's always, I always enjoy learning about someone's background. And uh, working at a big New York City firm, I think, certainly uh, played a role in, in, in where you are today. Actually, Tom, speaking about working at, at a big New York City firm, and I know you worked as an attorney, I believe, for the National Hockey League and the NBA. And for a lot of attorneys like myself, mm-hmm. uh, we always had a – a lot of us have had dreams of working – as a sports attorney for a pro sports league, it just seems so fascinating. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the type of work you did when you represented pro sports leagues and the legal side? Sure. And, and, and I don't mean to be you know, dream-busting, but I also am brutally honest about the competitive nature of it. So I was one of 65 first years at Prosco, Rose Getz and Mendelssohn back in 1995, and I, I was told by the signing attorney that over 40% of them put sports law as their first preference. So it's, it's a very plum assignment, and a lot of top graduates want it. You have to fight your way to get a job in a firm like that, and you have to fight your way through the other associates to get the assignments, and you have to fight through that to be on, on top of it. In the end, only two of those 65 incoming first years made partner at the firm. So wow. planning to make... You know, planning to make it in the business as a partner in a big law firm probably isn't, as the odds go, a good choice. But a lot of those people did make it out into the sports world in different respects, which is what I did. You know, either in-house or becoming agents or working for teams or working for... A few of my colleagues went to work for tangential industries such as Reebok, but obviously the station. And so the, the worst thing you can do is give up because it's so competitive. Um, but the second worst thing you can do is think that just by showing up, uh, you'll get a job in sports because it was ferociously competitive for me. And I spent a few years trying to you know, get out of the big firm in-house, and I finally got there. Did you enjoy the, the actual legal work representing pro sports leagues, Tom? Well, I would say yes, first of all, because I say easily yes. But yes and no. I mean, it's something you enjoyed at the time, but you might want to do forever. Having David Stern scream you at 3 a.m. on a conference call seems cool the first time. But, you know, if I was 53 with two divorces and this is the 12th time this has happened in the past year, it probably wouldn't seem as exciting. So, you know, it, it's the type of thing where it's the same with investment banks. You go, you work 20 hours a day, you grind yourself out, you're young, you can do it, you learn a lot. I learned a ton by working three times as much as the average lawyer colleague of mine that came out of school who didn't go to a big firm, but you can't do it forever. And it was good timing for me uh, as I moved into my 30s to move, to move out into the world. 
You know, it's 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 sort not funny, but kind of funny in a way that you mentioned getting a three o'clock in the morning uh, call from David Stern. I think I read that one of the other interviews that you had. And David Stern, by the way, is not looked at very favorably in Seattle in the way the whole Seattle relocation went down about eleven years ago. So when you mentioned getting right. a three o'clock in the morning uh, feisty call from David Stern, I think a lot of people here in Seattle that are listening to us are going to go, "Well, typical David Stern, Tom." So anyhow, I had to. Yeah. Had to throw that little dig in here. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio dot World with uh, hockey attorney and, and agent uh, Tom Lim. Tom, so you work for the Minnesota Wild, as, as I mentioned in the introduction, and we you mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago. And the franchise began began starting play in two thousand, and the franchise was awarded after uh, the North Stars left the, the Minnesota area in the in the nineties. Um, why don't you share with us some things that you were involved in helping to launch and build up that NHL franchise? Well, that's a good way to put it because launching and building were so different than running it. And I didn't know at the time because I'd never done this. I came out of a law firm. I'd been a hockey player. And I had to pretend I knew how to do some stuff uh, about launching a business. And so what do you, what do, you do when you show up? I, I started asking around like a lawyer does. Uh, about was the legal status for our employees, both domestically here in Minnesota and scouts across the border. And people looked at me blankly. It's a startup, right? And you just try to get people on board. So you start out by getting, getting immigration. And then I looked at the upcoming year and I said, do we have a charter carrier? Do we have fields of airports and hotels? Like, how do we need the team to places? Do we have ice reserve for training camps? So essentially, I just sat down and thought about all the basic things you would never think of on the ice or the field for a new team, but what happens off the ice and try to be as detailed as possible. And then after that, I started calling other teams and asking people in my position, really missing here, you know, for a training camp. So I had to do all this, 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 and that. And, and then they would add on two or three things. And then someone else would add on something, you know, a, a new element, a new twist. And so most of the time, it was just figuring out the basic stuff to make sure they come off without a hitch. Because the last thing I wanted was, you know, for instance, everyone shows up for training camp, about to go on the ice, and then the fire marshal shows up and says, you didn't get a, a specific permit to do this. You know, that's your nightmare as a lawyer. What was it? Was there some level? I don't know how to put this, Tom. Was there some level of kind of grunt work in playing a role in getting a, fran- a pro franchise launched? Oh yes, <laughs> yes, and it's a great part of it, but. Like any, you read about startups, kind of the you know the Facebooks and others of the world. In the very beginning, when there's only four or five people, someone's got to empty the trash. When there's only a few employees in the beginning, as you have in, in Seattle, you've got to do everything. You got to you know schedule your own travel, fix your own fax machine, stuff you won't be doing when there's when there's a staff of 35 in hockey operations three three years down the road. But in the very beginning, you have to do everything. And I remember in our first training camp, when the rookies came in, and my boss was calling me, Doug Rice, by the GM. They couldn't reach me. And finally, I got my phone and answered. He says, what are you doing? I mean, for 20 minutes, I have an issue with you. And I said, well, I was packing the uh, the equipment of a, of a player we just cut. You know, there was no one else to do it. So you do everything from packing, sweating hockey equipment to, uh, to writing contracts in the beginning. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff there. Well, you obviously have so many insights, Tom, on just, you know, all aspects of NHL franchise, the drafting and trading aspects of a franchise. Um, do you see any chance that Seattle can replicate the success of the Vegas franchise or maybe come close within a couple years to what you helped do for, with the Minnesota Wild and, and helping them get to uh, conference uh, conference finals within three years? Do, do you see Seattle 
within a couple of years uh, getting close to what happened in Vegas and what you played a role in in Minnesota? Yeah, I, I don't know what their plan is yet. So I hate to say, I see this happening when they would have different plan. In my day, back in 2000, the Columbus Blue Jackets planned to get better right away and compete the first season. And the Wild had planned to, to take five years to build a franchise. You know, I haven't heard from Seattle what their exact plan is, so part of this is behind the veil. Is it possible to do that? Yes. We got Todd Lewicki there, who basically started up the whole business side of the wild. And so he's done done a tremendous job of it. Here in Minnesota, they said selling more hockey would be like selling Eskimos. And somehow he did it, gave us a financial basis by which we could operate hockey ops in a very uh, competitive way. Secondly, you've got a a Hall of Fame general manager who's been around the block and studied hockey a lot after the end of his playing career to get to where he is today. So you've got the two fundamental pieces in place to say these men can build us. Now, what's going to happen on the expansion draft side, we don't know. Vegas took advantage of a change in expansion draft rules and a time of change. I don't know if you've read Moneyball or watched the movie, but hockey is in the midst of change right now from pre-analytics to an analytics environment. And I think Vegas was able to take advantage of a few franchises that hadn't yet mastered that. And so they took players in the expansion draft or traded for them who ended up being all-stars. When Seattle hits the expansion draft, I think a lot of teams will be more sophisticated. It will be more difficult to do. It doesn't mean you're going to be way behind the eight ball. It just means that you may not have as many good players available, and uh, you may be set back by a year or 18 months or so. So I think you'll have a similar opportunity as the Wild in Vegas, but maybe not as good an opportunity as, as Vegas did, maybe more like the Minnesota Wilds. Well, you have some firsthand insights on the whole subject of, uh, of drafting and getting an NHL franchise going. Tom, real quickly, I can hear you okay, but it sounds a little choppy at times. I don't know if there's some way you can adjust your cell phone at all. I think it's because I was walking up to sit down there. <laughs> hopefully right. it'll be. I was in my car and it got hot, so I was walking along up to my porch to sit down, but hopefully it'll, it'll stay uh, okay. even now. It sounds a little better right now, actually. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, hockey agent and former NHL general manager Tom Flynn. So, Tom, back to uh, uh, the Seattle franchise. And uh, you mentioned Todd Lewicki and Ron Francis. I definitely want to ask about the, about more about those gentlemen in a minute. But um, although Minnesota, what, after the North Stars left and the Wild were established, has, had a, has a major hockey history. I mean, I don't know. Minnesota is arguably maybe even the, the hockey state capital of the country. Um, actually, Seattle does have a rich hockey history, but we're going back a long, long time. Um, do you see any mm-hmm. parallels with the launch of the Wild in 2000 and the launch of the Seattle NHL franchise coming up in 2021? You know, if I did, it probably wouldn't be in the traditional sense you would think, in that I don't, I don't see Seattle necessarily drawing on that rich history, which, which is there. I'm a, I'm a hockey history buff, and I love the old uniforms and newspaper clippings and pictures of Seattle's games in both the WHL and as a minor league destination. But where Seattle would be similar to Minnesota is more in the city. St. Paul was ready for a resurgence. It was known as East Berlin in the 1980s and going to the 90s of the Twin Cities. And since 1997, when the franchise was announced, St. Paul grew almost exponentially. Their tax base more than doubled in the first 10 years of the franchise. New buildings built, office buildings, hotels. So St. Paul was revitalized by the franchise in the area in which it was, and it created a civic pride. Because hockey 
people, hockey fans in the demographic are very, uh, the most highly educated, highest earning power, the most dedicated, they're called tribal, to their teams. They tend to uh, both instill and create civic pride uh, where, where they're found, whether it's Nashville, as you've seen in spades, or Las Vegas, where they came around their team, and uh, Columbus, places that, that recently got teams that really defined the city. And so I see St. Paul and Seattle in that way. Seattle is burgeoning economically, is a national, nationally known city in a lot of ways, but for the civic pride portion of it, I think it's going to be really good for the arena area and your kind of downtown area to have the team there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and back to Seattle hockey history, that there's a, a book that came out by one of my former by one of my guests, Kevin Tyson, about the nineteen seventeen Seattle Metropolitans that won the Stanley Cup once. So there is a mm-hmm. hockey history here, but but I would agree yeah. it's it's not what Minnesota's been and of course over the last fifty, sixty years, whatever. But uh yeah, I, I appreciate your insights and I was just kinda curious if there were any perils. I think you you gave a few insights. Back to Todd Lewicki and you know, Todd uh, I believe was president of Minnesota Well at one time and Boy, the Lewicki family, they're like the Kennedys of sports. They just have such a, a background in sports. And, you know, Todd is involved with his brother in the OVG group and bringing the NHL to Seattle. Can you tell us a little bit about some firsthand insights about Todd as a person, as a leader, um, Tom? Yeah, sure. Um, and I, I like to think I have a lot, although we haven't been in close touch for the last few years. But I get to know him well with the Wild and kept in touch with him afterwards. And I've known people who worked for him along the way in different places. So, Here's a man that's worked for the NFL. He's worked in the NBA with a team. He's run an NHL franchise twice. He's run a football franchise, run an NBA franchise again, and then was the number two guy at the NFL offices before he went to Seattle. So he has an in-depth knowledge of the sports business, I would say, unlike anyone anyone else as far as his experiences. And his leadership style is, is pretty unique even among his brothers, because uh, as a family, they've done a lot of great things those by Wiki brothers. Todd, uh, if I had to think of a leader, uh, he reminds me of it, would be Pope uh, John Paul II in the Catholic Church when he came into office, wanted to be very personable, make connections with his, his people, and to create a servant leadership, meaning that he did things for his people to enable them to succeed. And Todd came in and did the same thing. Instead of being demanding, instead of yelling at people, instead of setting deadlines and quotas and yelling at people to get them. He would include people in setting their own goals. He would build them up. He would encourage them. He would encourage them to push beyond their limits. So it wasn't like he accepted anything, but he'd say to people, yeah, you're, you're better than that. You're smarter than that. You're more industrious than that. You can do more than that. And so he ended up having employees with the wild achieve far greater things than they thought they were capable of. And then he moved on to do that other places as well. Well, that was a, that's quite a compliment to uh, Todd Lewicki comparing him to uh, Pope John Paul, uh, Tom. That, that's, a, uh, that's, that's quite a, quite a compliment because uh, Pope, the Pope John Paul was a very respected world leader. I can't speak for his soul, but I, I can speak for his leadership stuff. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Paul Schneiderman, again, <laughs> hosts of sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, hockey expert Tom Lynn and author. So, Tom, you had some experience working as the GM of the Houston franchise of the American Hockey League. What do you think about yeah. the uh, Seattle franchise's decision to pick Palm Springs, California as a location of the Seattle AHL affiliate? And I'll tell you something. Palm Springs, Palm Desert to the Pacific Northwest is a little bit like uh, Florida is for Northeasterners. So just a little food for thought on, on that as well, Tom. Right, and I enjoyed uh, the times I spent there. It's kind of a a hockey hotbed because most of the Western GMs either have a place there or would visit other GMs there. 
and we used to do our scout meetings there when it was with the wild because there's so many hockey people in that area. I think it's, you know, it's on the West Coast. It's in the same time zone. As a hockey guy, my main thought is, where are my players in relation to the big squad as far as time zone and direct flights? Because if I'm playing it back-to-back, uh, you know, in Colorado and then home on a Friday, Saturday, and I have an injury, illness, or suspension, I want to know how I can get my guys there. And if your team is two time zones away and an indirect flight, suppose they're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we're going to have to fly them through Chicago or Detroit. That's my only concern. So it looks like there's flights to Palm Springs from everywhere, same time zone. Uh, it's going to be nearer to your opponents when, they're, when you're on the road in California and places like that. It looks like a great pick geographically. As far as how it works on the ground, it's, you know, selling tickets and all the rest. I don't have an opinion, but I think it looks great as a hockey element. Yeah, no, I I I like uh, your feedback there, and I I, I think you're going to have some Seattleites and Washingtonians who may get to know hockey better by watching maybe some some more hockey down in Palm Springs, Palm Desert area when they're down there. So uh, it sounds like a, a logical spot, Tom. You know, I I read a little bit more about you as part of my pre-show research, and when you're an assistant GM, I read with the Minnesota Wild that. Some of your task was giving players hard news, like news about being traded or being released. Is there any easy way or classy way to tell a player he's been cut? You know, we're talking about someone's livelihood, their self-esteem, their whole life. How, is, there, is there a way to do it where there can be less animosity? Hmm. I don't know about the animosity. Maybe. I tend to think of it for better or for worse, like breaking up with someone, like breaking up with a girl. So... The easier you make it on yourself, usually the more difficult you make it on the other person. And so if you draw things out because you're afraid of confrontation, that's just drawing out their pain. If you're not direct with them because you're afraid of hurting their feelings and they don't know why it ended. So in a player situation, you got to say you're either traded or you're cut right away. And I've been in conversations where I was not the lead man in these things. And the other, the other person giving the news would drag on for three minutes about life and hockey and the poor kids just sit there like, are they cutting me or not? So I always start the conversations with you're either traded or cut and then give them to the best of my ability the real reasons why, not just like, well, you have a lot of guys here. We really like you. Go down and work hard. It's say, here's why you didn't make it. Someone else did, such as your lateral mobility is poor as a defenseman. You're good north south. You can break the puck out, but we're afraid you can beat wide. So if that person can work on that. Or they may disagree with it, but they'll walk away having a better idea. So I think being pleasant but direct and candid is the best thing you can do for a player. I bet telling a player that he's being cut versus being traded is harder, right? Generally, but man, sometimes those trade conversations are the worst because those are more mature players who may have a best interest in the community. You know, four kids and hockey and the rest. And so I couldn't say that's a general rule. All, I could say it's a general rule, but it's not hold true all the time. Fair enough, fair enough. Paul Schneierman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue with Tom Lynn, having a great conversation if you're just tuning in. Got a few minutes left with, with you, Tom. So, Tom, uh, you're a unique guy. You were a, a longtime uh, hockey management guy, and you, you now you're on the agent side. Do you ever miss the management side at all? Really. Most of the time as an agent, I'm calling teams, I'm calling my old counterparts to negotiate contracts or generate interest in the player. And uh, you get a lot of complaints. You know, guy answers the phone, how you doing today? Oh, you wouldn't believe what the GM's asking me. They're the president. Are they accounting guy? I got to redo the budget. I got to do this or that. And so you, you hear a lot about that. And they tend to get, you know, fired and bounced around a lot. The lower management guys moving team to team or having new people come in. 
I run my own business. I'm my own boss. I can pick my clients, which we have. I run a small business, a boutique by design. And so as much as that's, uh, how would you say, you don't have wins and losses. You don't have the same intensity of a game when you don't have a best interest of one team or only one player. The flip side is that you have direct relationships with people and you know who you work for when you come home at the end of the day. Yeah, there's some benefits being your own boss. I think you you know through your experience that being a uh, working in sports management can be a short term yeah. position as well. So, Tom, there, there's definitely stereotypes about sports agents. I mean, I work as a personal injury attorney, so I'm definitely subjected to stereotypes. But I think most of us actually do pretty quality work and try to help people. Do those stereotypes bother mm-hmm. you about agents when you hear those uh, cracks about sports agents sometimes? Well, that's a tough one because I grew up with some of the lawyer who was a criminal defense lawyer when I was very young. My tech classmates would taught me that he defended murderers, and then he became a personal injury attorney, and then he got worse. So I, I know how you feel. When I got into the agency business, that was one of the main things I asked about. I was considering it. I was worried about not just the view of it, but let's put it this way. Sometimes you get in a business where a lot of people are doing unethical things. Can you compete? That was my real question to three or four agents whom I respected. And you find the same thing playing this person during some cities. I don't know where it is by you. You're thinking, can I compete in this business if other people are going out and saying and doing unethical things to to get clients, I was told by two successful guys in the business here in the Midwest that, yes, you can, but you have to pick your clients, you have to stick to your principles, and you got to take a long view, like look at building a firm through eight or ten years rather than two or three years. Don't be a stage door Johnny that's kind of sitting outside the locker rooms. Can I talk to you? And if you follow that, then you'll be fine. I think the same holds true in your business. You know, Paul is a personal injury attorney. It may not be great in the short run. Once in a while, you lose a case or another lawyer promises a plaintiff, potential plaintiff, something that you know he can't deliver, but he gets the client up front. But over the longer term, you're better off and have a more stable life doing the right thing. Absolutely. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, Tom, we're about to wrap up here. It's been a lot, a lot of fun. I want to know what's in the future for Tom Lynn. And one more quick question I have as well, if we can kind of package these in about a minute, minute and a half. Um, Sure. How is being a hockey agent different than being an agent, say, in uh, football, basketball, or baseball? That may be the final question, and maybe for 10 seconds, uh, let me know what's in your future as well. Sure. Uh, now, baseball and hockey have an 18-year-old draft, so they're vastly different than the other two. Because in the other two, you're recruiting guys who are generally in college, older, about to turn pro, and that's when you're set upon them. Whereas in hockey especially... You act as a family advisor and NCAA rules for a lot of these guys from the age of 14, 15, 16. You're helping them with life decisions, like what courses to take in high school to be NCAA eligible, what major they should go to, whether they should go to a tech school like Michigan Tech or RPI or a liberal arts school. So you're involved in a lot more life decisions than you would be in football or basketball. And then secondly, you're involved in their development a lot more. We're more personally responsible for the development as humans and as athletes. And that's part of the business I really relish. If I'm looking forward to you know, where we go from here, from here with this agency, is to keep being a small boutique agency and trying to perfect those things off the ice to help our clients succeed. Because I'm not on the ice coaching them. I'm the guy who's seen them after they're on the ice and, and helping them through life. So we really focus on what off the ice makes you the best and sharpest individual you can be. So when you're on the ice, the coach can take care of you. Tom, great stuff. I had so many more questions for you. Only so much time. Thank you so much for coming on Sports and Stuff uh, on Rainier Avenue Radio. It's you and I. Stay in touch. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you.